Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ukrainians in Hamilton are helping those in need in the war-torn country. Canada sending more weapons to Ukraine. Canadian researchers are helping build the metaverse. Should the famous grunge band Nirvana be classified as oldies? The Hamilton Bulldogs host the Peets in their OHL playoff opener, and we discuss animal protection laws in Ontario, or the lack thereof. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Ukrainians have uh, fought like heroes over the past number of months, and they're not just fighting for Ukraine. They're fighting for the values that underpin so many of our free democratic societies, which is why the world needs to continue to step up, why Canada is continuing to stand with Ukraine, to stand against Russia. That, of course, the voice of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, confirming yesterday that Canada will indeed provide Ukraine with heavy artillery. And more details on that will be coming, uh, I would imagine, the next few days. Uh, meantime, the U.N. Refugee Agency now says more than 5 million people have fled Ukraine since the Russian invasion started in late February. There is some unbelievably encouraging news happening here in Hamilton, because a group of local Ukrainian leaders in this city have been sending shipments of medical aid as well as hygiene products from Hamilton's John C. Monroe International Airport to Poland, and then ultimately all that stuff gets to those in need in Ukraine. Stefan Sobolewski is the logistics coordinator of the Hamilton Ukrainian aid effort and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Stefan. How are you? Good morning. You've you've sent a few shipments now of much-needed supplies to the people in Ukraine. When did this all start? Uh, it started pretty much back in the uh, back in beginning in March, where um, I had the idea of uh, you know uh, approaching my old uh, employer, uh, Cargo Jet, uh, and uh, just an idea came across. Uh, you know, I. I, I Worked at Cargo Jet uh, many years ago, and I, I figured I'd go and ask, uh, you know, for some help. And um, and lo and behold, uh, they gave me the green light for uh, for humanitarian uh, run. And uh, you know, keeping at it, uh, I also went to my uh, other previous employer, uh, Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum. I directly spoke with uh, CEO David uh, Rohr, and. Uh, uh, he he certainly stepped up as well. Uh, gave me some room to 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 have some space to sort the uh, donations through uh, prior to the um, uh, prior to the uh, you know pickup and uh, and load uh, that we did. I believe was uh, March. I think it was the first first uh, first first week of uh, March that we loaded up our first plane, uh, 647 boxes, uh, total weight 21,000 pounds. And uh, you know, you know, having having done that, uh, certainly put a put a good uh, smile on a, a few people's faces in Ukraine. Uh, uh, ever since uh, probably the first week of March, we started uh, started this mission. How have the shipments been going since then? Uh, they've been going pretty 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 well. Uh, we've managed to um, uh, leave us some uh, some working room. Uh, so it's every every two weeks now. We're uh, we're sending out the uh, the flights. Uh, it gives us more time to accumulate uh, medical supplies, hygiene, non-perishable foods, and uh, military non-lethal. Uh, 
it gives us uh, gives us a better opportunity to collect these uh, donations and 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 find the specifics of of what we need in terms of medical, in terms of hygiene, and 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 uh, and those specifically those two categories. Uh, so it's it's been going quite uh, quite steady. We've been uh, we've been max we've been maxing out uh, between six to six hundred and forty uh, boxes uh, per shipment now. Stephen Sobolewski is our guest, logistics coordinator of the Hamilton Ukrainian aid efforts. They've been sending uh, shipments, plane loads of stuff to Ukraine to help out to people in need in the war-torn country. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, I believe your last shipment was last Saturday. When's the next one coming up? The next one's coming up April 30th. Uh, we are collecting donations up until April 29th. Uh, anybody who has any uh uh, medical or hygiene uh, donations, uh, you know, um, first aid kits, tourniquets, uh, gauzes, bandages, um, any type of uh, ibuprofen, 400s, um, any t- anything in regards to hygiene like uh, wipes, um, you know, um, you know, diapers for uh, for babies, uh, feminine hygiene. Uh, regarding non-perishables, anything uh, canned, uh, dry food, uh, protein bars, coffee, um, you know, uh, and in 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 for with uh, military non-lethal, uh, you know, boots, uh, socks, underwear, uh, elbow pads, knee pads, um, tactical gloves, um, you know, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, anybody who has any uh, any of those uh, items is willing to donate. Please contact uh, the uh, Holy Spirit Ukrainian Catholic Church at uh, 15 Olga Street. Uh, there is going to be a donation run coming this Saturday uh, uh, from, I believe, 12 p.m. to around, around 5 p.m. W- would you recommend that some people can bring items to the airport itself, or is, is the church the main kind of hub for all of this collection? The church is the main kind of hub right now for the collection because we do our sorting there. Uh, we used to have sorting done at the at the airport, but at uh, with with logistics and the and the security around the airport, um, we find it uh, it's better to to have it dropped off at the church so we can sort it, uh, you know, and 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 make sure that um, uh, everything's been uh, looked through carefully. Uh, you know, there's nothing uh, expired or anything like that. It gives us the time to to make sure that everything, you know, everything's uh, everything's put in order before we we send it to the airport. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Stefan Sobolewski, logistics coordinator of the Hamilton Ukrainian Aid Efforts. They have been sending over uh, shipments of medical aid, hygiene products from Hamilton's airports to uh, Poland, then uh, making its way over to those in need in Ukraine. Can people also donate money? Yes, uh, we have uh, we have an organization uh, set up. Uh, anybody who is willing to uh, do the monetary uh, is willing to um, send us any uh, monetary funds. Uh, you can email me at T A R A S B U L B A two thousand twenty two at hotmail com at hotmail uh, or you can uh, or you can simply uh, come to the uh, church uh and just uh and drop off the in dro- donation uh money there but preferably if, if if people could email 
that email address and just inform me of of what they would like to donate that would be work that would work best as I can provide them with a um with a receipt with that monetary um, donation. Stefan, hats off to you and everyone else involved in the Hamilton Ukrainian aid effort. This is a, a wonderful initiative. Uh, thanks for picking up uh, you know, the, the, the flag and saying, hey, we can make a difference. You're certainly doing that. Uh, we wish you nothing but the best, and thanks for your time this morning. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank uh, Steeltown, uh, City of Hamilton, uh, uh, MP Chad Collins, uh, Mayor Fred Eisenberger, uh, Ukrainian Holy Spirit uh, Catholic Church, St. Vladimir's uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church, and everybody who has been helping us in this effort. This is Steel Town. We stick together when uh, trouble comes, and I really appreciate everyone's uh, help. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, with this type of unity, uh, we will see, uh, we'll see good things on the horizon very soon. Absolutely. Thanks for the time, Stefan. Thank you very much. Have a great morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Their most recent ask was exactly for that, for heavy artillery. Uh, For uh, reasons of operational security, I can't go into the details uh, at this point on uh, how and what we're getting to them exactly. uh, But I can assure you we will have more to say in the coming days. That is, again, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau uh, not ready to provide many details about his government's pledge to send and a new round of military aid to Ukraine. Uh, Christian Luprecht is a professor at the Royal Military College of Canada and Queen's University and a fellow at the Macdonald Laurier Institute and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Christian. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. Canada, as we know, sending heavy artillery, we're being told, to Ukraine. Is this a case of too little, too late? Yeah, I think that's the question that everybody's asking, but not just in Canada, uh, but uh, among other NATO members as well. I think there was sort of an initial, uh, we're sort of in phase three, I would say, of sort of the initial NATO perception. I think initially we kind of thought the Ukrainians were going to be overrun, but that's largely because we didn't listen to our own military advisors um, and the people who have been training the Ukrainians who have been saying all along the Ukrainians are in much better shape uh, than uh, the, uh, the politicians believe. Uh, then we were in the phase where kind of small arms and defensive capabilities to repel the Russian advance, and now we're in the large-scale maneuver warfare phase, and it seems like we never seem to be playing ahead as to what the Ukrainians need. We're always kind of playing catch-up, and the problem with that is that the Russians continue to maintain the initiative as long as we can't get out ahead of the game and make sure that our Ukrainian partners have what they need before the Russians launch their next offensive. How would you describe heavy artillery? What are we looking at here? So what the Ukrainians need in maneuver warfare is layered defense. So they need short-range, medium-range, and long-range targeting capabilities. So in particular, artillery, uh, but also airstrike capabilities. The airstrike capabilities are controversial because there's some concern about some NATO members uh, that the Ukrainians could also use it to target Russian territory. Uh, So the focus is going to be on artillery pieces, in particular artillery pieces that can provide uh, medium and long-term, long-range capabilities, because we've provided them with lots of, for instance, the famous Javelin missiles and the like. So so lots of short-range capabilities to take out tanks, 
Um, but now that the Russians are amassing troops and amassing artillery well behind the front line, uh, the Ukrainians need to have the capability, for instance, the artillery capability to take out uh, Russian artillery pieces on the other side. Otherwise, they're simply going to get pummeled by Russian artillery and have no ability to defend themselves. That is basically what is happening in the uh, port city of Mariupol, where Russian forces have surrounded a steel plant. There's about a thousand civilians and I think upwards of 500 uh, Ukrainian soldiers hold up in this steel facility. Um, it sounds like Russia is making inroads in this strategic area of the country. What will controlling Mariupol mean to uh, Russia's overall plan? So I think first and foremost, it'll be a propaganda victory for the Putin regime. Uh, there's a host of uh, regime sympathetic media uh, on site in Mariupol, and so it's believed that the Russian commanders will declare victory, regardless of whether they've been able to clear out the defenders um, of the last pockets of resistance or not. But it'll also mean that the Russians will be able to redeploy those troops in support of their offensive uh, their 300-mile-long offensive in the eastern part of Ukraine. And that's really been the great success of Mariupol, that it's pinned down upwards of 10,000 soldiers, uh, as well as equipment and command and control and logistics capabilities, uh, of course, for weeks on end, um, which has then meant that the Russians haven't been able to redeploy those assets uh, to support their efforts in eastern Ukraine, which means that Putin is going to increasingly run into trouble on the timeline, his May 9th timeline on the great uh, Father's Day victory parade, where either it appears he wants to declare some sort of victory or he's going to call for mass mobilization. And that has meant that the Russians have had to throw offensive capabilities into the fight in eastern Ukraine that really weren't constituted or equipped yet for this particular fight, which then makes it easier for the Ukrainians to continue to try to repel the Russians' advances in the east. So there's lots of knock-on effects from the Mariupol, um, uh, from, from the valiant defense of Mariupol by the Ukrainians. We'll continue to follow this story closely. Christian, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure, Rick. Have a lovely morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Very interesting story. This might be my favorite story of the morning. Because two professors at the University of Waterloo have been tasked with helping build the metaverse. Verse, verse, verse. They're among 17 Canadian researchers who have been uh, granted $30,000 each from Meta's Reality Labs Research to help in their work. Where do you even start with this thing? Zhen Zhao is an assistant professor at Sheridan School of Computer Science at the University of Waterloo and joins us now. Uh, professor Zhao, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks, Rick. How did you get involved in this? Yeah, it's uh, interesting. So my, um, my research is about human-computer interaction and data visualization. What it means for uh, everyone is... I study how user use systems and how effective system can be built and how effectively you can help people to explore data and present data. And metaverse uh, to me is a new kind of medium, just like desktops, mobile phones, or smartwatch and any other displays. It's a new medium for displaying data and a new medium for people to interact with each other and to learn uh, and collaborate with each other and acquire information. So that's how I got into this. So how do you, how will you shape and build the metaverse? Where do you even start? 
So the whole metaverse, uh, first, uh, I like to define metaverse, although there's no official definition for that. Uh, so in my view, it is a blending of physical and virtual digital worlds and where people can interact with each other and uh, this interaction can be human-human interaction and it can also be human-AI interaction. You can uh, chat with a chatbot, uh, interact with an avatar. Um, so in this uh, metaverse world, um, there are many aspects and particular to my research, um, my students and I, we're interested in how live VR streamers uh, interact with their audience. How can we build uh, the next generation platform to support this kind of streaming activities in VR? Because a lot of the streaming uh, economy, uh, the streaming economy is growing, but a lot of activities right now is actually um, just like like video on TikTok or uh, Facebook, uh, real. This kind of streaming is not in VR, and the VR streaming is a new new thing. So. How could we support that? This is one uh, uh, aspect of research we are looking into. Another is like how people can immersively analyze data. So uh, data is abstract. Uh, if you can imagine, like, uh, can you uh, dive into the data is, uh, and explore it like you see in the movies? Uh, how can we build the next generation of interfaces to support this kind of novel exploration of information? So those are the two interesting points that we, uh, me and my students are looking into. And uh, we are going to start to build the metaverse from these uh, intersection points with my old research and the new trends. Sounds like there's going to be a lot of heavy lifting uh, forward for you. Uh, our guest is uh, Zhang Zhao. He's an assistant professor at the Sheridan School of Computer Science at the University of Waterloo. We're talking about building the metaverse. Professor Zhao is uh, one of two University of Waterloo professors and 17 Canadian researchers who have been given a grant by uh, Meta's Reality Labs Research to help uh, in their work. Is this just all code as you're building it? Um. Yeah, so uh, there, there's like two aspects for building the metaverse. One is the hardware side, like you need to, uh, right now the, the goggles are still uh, very bulky and that's not part of my research. <laughs> so I, I, my research is more focused on the software, um, the systems and technologies that we're building. So yeah, I would say that's a yes, it's all code that we are building. What is, do you think, going to be the appeal of the metaverse? Is this going to be an escape for people? Well, I think um, it, it's an interesting question. So think about uh, 20 years ago, uh, 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 compare it 20 years ago to now, uh, you interact a lot more with your mobile phones, right? Mobile computing is kind of, is booming and it's growing and it's it's becoming part of our life, but you are still relying on the desktop computers and using other form of uh, uh, computing uh, uh, devices. So Metaverse as a new uh, kind of platform that where you can explore, display information, I think it's gonna be uh, just like mobile phones as to desktops, uh, it's going to be a, one of the major trends, but people will still rely on 
uh, both the physical and the digital worlds. I, I think that the ultimate goal is to blend this physical and, uh, and virtual worlds and make it like a one thing and you have a one account experience. So it's not going to be uh, escape. I think it's going to be an augment to the to the real world. Interesting stuff. Professor Zhao, really appreciate your time today. Good luck with this project. Thanks. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A TikTok user has called Nirvana's 1991 song Something in the Way an oldie, and it broke the internet and sent millennials and Gen Xers into a frenzy. They were frothing at the mouth. Our guest to talk about this is Taz from Taz and Jim on Y108 weekdays, 530 to 9 on our brother station. Taz, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick, and good morning, Hamilton. I'm uh, good. Uh, that, that's good to hear. I'm not sure I was good to hear that this song yeah. from Nirvana in 91 is an oldie. Say it ain't so, Taz. Yeah, how am I? I guess I'm old too, Rick, uh, <laughs> because I, I remember when that album came out. I was in high school back then, and uh, it, it's hard to to think that uh, so much time has passed since Nirvana's Nevermind. But I guess you got to ask yourself, what is the definition of an oldie, right? Is is it an oldie? Well, it's it's older than a lot of things, but it's not the oldest. <laughs> it, it certainly isn't that. I mean, the song is 31 years old. It has stood the test of time, that's for sure. So, you know, I would call it a classic, not an oldie, because when I think of oldie, I'm thinking of the format, the, you know, oldies format. And, and as radio people, that's kind of how we think. Like, I, I, the question is, is it classic rock? I've seen that as well. And again, it depends. What's your definition of classic rock? Uh, it's definitely grunge. We know that. There's only a certain number of songs that can kind of be lumped into that genre. But uh, classic rock, some people may have trouble calling Nirvana classic rock. But it came out in 1991, same year that Terminator 2 was released. Yeah. Would you have a problem calling Terminator 2 a classic movie? Probably not. Yeah. So this was posted by a 21-year-old by the name of Ari Elkins, who posted on TikTok um, earlier this month in part of a series that he calls Oldies You Should Know. And in his first <laughs> installment, uh, we were it's, it's gotten almost like three million views. Uh, he chose this song as to say, hey, you know, th there's, you know, a lot of songs out there that we should be, you know, consuming. And basically this song was used in one of the trailers to promote the, the Batman movie and a lot right. of a lot of youngsters um <laughs> said hey i gotta check out what this song is all about so they they discovered the the song so you know i guess the silver lining to all this is that at least these younger folk are experiencing stuff that we experienced when it first came out yeah they, they not only used it in the trailer but they also used uh portions of the song in the score for the movie and, and the actual song was was in the film i believe um and and you're seeing this a lot you watch a movie trailer i know thor love and thunder the new thor movie that's coming out a trailer dropped this week and uh sweet child of mine by guns and roses which uh, this person probably considers an oldie too <laughs> uh, because it's older than than nirvana's nevermind yeah. um but it's featured and it gets you pumped up it's just good music and i don't know how how a younger generation couldn't hear that and go, what the heck is that? That's so cool. I, I can remember doing it with bands like 
Led Zeppelin, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, uh, Steve Miller Band, right? Those weren't bands of my generation per se, but when I was introduced to them, I, I definitely latched on and found something that I could get excited about. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Taz from Taz and Jim, our brother station Y108. You can hear Taz and Jim weekdays from 530 to 9. How does streaming play a part in all this in terms of music designation? Well, I, I guess there's the categories that you can pull up on there, and if I'd be shocked if they were putting Nirvana in the oldies <laughs> uh, categories on yeah. streaming services. I don't think we're quite there yet, but you got everything, everything at your fingertips, and every generation, every decade that goes by, that's uh, thousands and thousands of songs that are out there in the ether of of pop culture and society. So the, the fact that, uh, you know, you think, uh, I, I don't want to say back in our day, Rick, because I don't want to date I, you. I'm but, comfortable in that. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, back in my day, if you wanted to find new music, like you were getting on a bus or you were riding your bike downtown to a, a used record store and you were, you were physically carrying something home, and if yeah. it wasn't great, too bad. You were stuck with it. And you had to save your allowance and go back next week. But with streaming, the world of, of music is literally at your fingertips. And uh, it's a great thing when it comes to discovery for, for uh, younger people and, and all the great music that has come before. Uh, this TikToker wrote, I personally have no negative connotation to when a track came out. A good song is a good song, period. And he says, I'm 21 and I think others my age should know more Nirvana songs other than Just Smells Like Teen Spirit, which is good. The other good thing in the grand scheme of things, and this makes me feel a little bit better, is that Nirvana was really, you know, was born 30 plus years ago, 30 years after the dawn of rock and roll. So it's really middle aged in a sense of rock and roll history. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, a fact that it will kind of blow your mind, uh, well, I, that's probably not the best term to use, but uh, the album Nevermind is older than Kurt Cobain was when he passed away. Wow, yeah. Which is strange to think about. But uh, anyone who doesn't acknowledge the fact that 30 years is, is a pretty good stretch of time, I think they're living in denial. So <laughs> I, I'm not offended by him using the term oldies, I'm a little discouraged by the fact that he's 21 years old and he wasn't born until the year 2000. <laughs> that one also kind of <laughs> reminds you of, of your age. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't think uh, being offended by the use of a word or a term is something that people should be doing. Just get excited that uh, that this music and the, the legacy of Kurt Cobain and the members of Nirvana lives on. And that's the most important thing, and we get to continue to enjoy that music. Taz, really appreciate the time, and we'll talk to you down the road. And if people want to enjoy that music on the radio, they can find it on Y108 with Taz and Jim in the morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Hamilton Bulldogs begin what local hockey fans hope is a long postseason run tonight when they host the Peterborough Peets in round one of the OHL playoffs. Head coach of the Bulldogs, Jay McKee, joins us on GMH. Jay, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Your team is on a 10-game winning streak heading into tonight's uh, playoff opener. It seems the team has been in playoff mode, at least for the last little while. Is that something that you instilled in the players coming down the stretch? 
Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to call it playoff mode. I, I, I believe it's just the way we play. Um, you know, I, I think this team has done a great job with its leadership and, uh, you know, the older players, the veteran guys, and, and, you know, really having the message that we play the same way every night. And, um, you know, so to say it's playoff mode or turning it up, I, I just like to think that these guys bring the same effort every night and the same consistency and, I think you need to do that to to have had any kind of streaks during the season, and we just want to kind of carry over what we've been doing into uh, into the playoffs. Much has been made, and rightfully so, the Bulldogs winning a franchise record 51 games this season. It's a great achievement. It's a number, though, as you know, that really doesn't matter at this time of the year. If anything, does it raise any internal expectations of this club? Um, you know, yeah, everything is reset here when you get to the playoffs. So I, I think, you know, it, the players took a lot of pride in the way that they worked over the season and the things, uh, the different different accomplishments that were, were made. But uh, those things are all washed now and, and we start, you know, season two. And, and it's uh, it's going to be a grind. We're up against a very good hockey club in Peterborough, a team that we need to be on top of our game in order to beat. And, and that's where the focus is right now. So, um, yeah, everything gets reset. We're excited to start uh, start the uh, the real dance now. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jay McKee, the head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs. They host the Peterborough Peets tonight in round one of the OHL playoffs. Puck drop just after seven at First Ontario Centre. Um, with those 51 wins comes home ice advantage throughout the OHL playoffs. What, what does that mean to you and the team? Well, that, that was the most important thing about getting uh, those wins. Um, you know, we never talked about records or individual achievements or, or things like that in the dressing room. And we don't even we don't even have a player of the game in our room uh, like the majority of teams. Uh, we just want uh, you know to have success as a hockey club. Um, you know, you, you put those behind us, and and for us, it's just focusing one game at a time. That was a philosophy for the regular season, and, and that's where things are at now. We we put a lot of focus and preparation on the ice uh, with video and and whatnot into game one here, and, and that's where uh, our focus belongs. Uh, goalie Marco Costantini led the Ontario Hockey League in goals against average, sale, uh, saves percentage, uh, shutouts. He was second in wins. Goaltending is a big part of any winning team, and even more so in the playoffs, as you know. How has Marco been able to elevate his game this year? Well, I think he's been fantastic. Uh, you know, he makes the, the hard saves look easy, and, and you know, one of the... Uh, real values to the top goalies in the league is they, they make the uh, the saves they're supposed to make and they come up with the extra big ones and you know for for this team to have had the success so far that they've had it it really takes a village it's it's not just one guy or one forward line it's everybody being involved and it's uh, you know the defense helping our offense our offense helping in the defensive zone uh, all five guys in the ice doing the right things to help our goaltending so um, you know, individual achievements are great, and, and, and Marco's been fantastic for us. But I think every uh, every achievement any of these players have had has been a result of, of a team game. Bulldogs are number one in the CHL rankings. It is at or near the top of many statistical categories. Many players have had career years. What's been the <clears throat> secret formula this year? Is it is it Jay McKee? Is Jay McKee the secret formula? <laughs> <laughs> no, like I said, it, it takes a village. Uh, you know. Uh, this organization has been uh, just first class right from the start. Uh, the culture here, I've been incredibly grateful to step into a, a team that has a culture that's been put in place through 
Steve Steos and Mike Anlauer. The, the kids are fantastic. Their work ethic and internal drive is fantastic. Uh, it's the most coachable group of kids I've had, uh, which makes my job uh, and, our, and my assistant's job is much easier. And in saying that, I have an incredible staff with Andreas Carlson and Andrew Campbell. So just from top to bottom, the culture, I would say, is what has really started uh, the ball rolling towards uh, the achievements of this team so far. But obviously a lot of work ahead. And, and the kids in this room, are they're just fantastic. And, and you know, there's there's been maybe two games all year where I've, I've had to really push guys for, for more out of them. It's just a, a team that is a real internal internally driven um, and, and, and a great culture. And when you have that and the work ethic that these guys bring every night and the attention to detail, um, you know, like I said, it takes a village. So it's everyone involved that has uh, had a hand in this. It's been a great run thus far. It's only going to get uh, more interesting from here. Jay, wish you and the Bulldogs nothing but the best as the OHL playoffs begins tonight. Good luck tonight and beyond. Okay, thank you. I appreciate your time. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Marineland, back in court yesterday, the case uh, once again highlighting the fact that there is a lack of animal protection laws in Ontario. We're going to dive into that in a matter of seconds. But uh, in court yesterday, uh, facing a criminal charge of putting on illegal whale and dolphin shows, and uh, basically the the court case has been moved down the line. It's been... um, uh, push back to May 18th. And if you don't know, there was an amendment to the criminal code back in 2019 that made it an offense for dolphins and whales to perform, which is part of the federal government's anti-captivity legislation. So what are some of the rules regarding places like Marine Land and African Lion Safari and, you know, other zoos? Toronto Zoo, for example. I mean, how, how are they allowed to work? How are they allowed to function where others are not. Uh, Michelle Hamers is uh, a campaign manager with World Animal Protection and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Michelle, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So maybe we'll start with um, animal protection laws in this province. There's a a lot of gray area in Ontario. Yeah, that's correct. Um, The laws that exist are not very comprehensive. There are some standards of care rules that uh, are enforced provincially, but there is no licensing for zoos. Um, the province doesn't regulate people keeping exotic wild animals, whether it's a tiger or a monkey. Um, these laws are completely missing still. So in terms of marine lands, they basically um, were in, um, in offense of the, the, this revised criminal code in 2019, which basically banned uh, performances by dolphins and whales. Is that basically the, the crux of what's going on with them? Yeah, that's correct. So Marineland was able to keep their current collection despite the passing of the federal bill several years ago. Um, they still have about 50 beluga whales, as far as we know, and some other animals. Um, and it just shows that what happens when these types of facilities are able to breed and run their business according to their own choosing. Um, we are very excited, though, that a second bill has been introduced uh, earlier this year by the Senate, uh, the called the Jane Goodall Bill, that will really end the commercial trade and phase out the keeping of more than 800 wild animal species. So it will affect roadside zoos and, and even exotic pet owners. So um, your organization, World Animal Protection, calling on uh, MPs and Canadian senators to make sure that that Jane Goodall Bill is indeed passed. Yes, that's correct. Um, it will be a long road, but we're, we're um, confident that we can we can move this bill forward. 
Um, and we're also working harder provincially. Um, you know, all these headlines about uh, marine land or a reptile business trying to open up zoos across the country or people trying to acquire monkey pets. They've all been headlines, and, and we're only talking about this because we don't have comprehensive regulation in the province, so that needs to change. Michelle Hamers is our guest. Michelle is a campaign manager with World Animal Protection. We're talking about animal protection laws in this province, and there's really some muddy waters in this discussion because uh, the, the line is kind of blurred in many cases. When it comes to roadside zoos, you mentioned that term. What does that mean, and, and where are they in this province? Yeah, so as far as we know, Ontario is one of the last provinces that have such shoes. Um, they're private businesses. Usually they're just exotic animal collections. And these businesses operate according to their own standards. They don't operate according to the highest standard um, uh, in the road as a professional zoo. Um, for example, Toronto Zoo would. Um, but these are mom and pop um, facilities that that's often just started out with collecting some animals and then opening up the doors for visitors to, to come see them. Do we have a lot of them in Ontario? We actually do. Um, we have about 50 uh, facilities that keep wild animals, and about half of them or even more can be considered roadside zoos. So it's, it's places where animals are kept in, in tiny enclosures where they can engage in, in natural behaviors, um, where you know breeding is happening just to attract the public, really. And, and these places, they, they should be regulated. I mean, it's, it's time. So, yeah, how have, how have they managed to skirt the law and, and not face charges? Because there is not really a law. Um, besides the, um, um, the standards of care that exist, which, which are quite vague, actually, and very hard to enforce. And so it's really br- difficult to bring a case forward against these places, regardless of their poor standards of care. So this Jane Goodall bill wouldn't necessarily impact places like the Toronto Zoo or even African Lion Safari, which is a little closer to us. So it wouldn't impact Toronto Zoo because they kind of got the benefit of the doubt um, and they they have a a permit that could be revoked once if it would happen that their standards of care decline over time. However, it would impact African Lion Safari at the moment because they, they, they don't have the permit yet. It would impact the keeping of their elephants um, and several other animals that, that they currently keep. Um, and the only thing they can do is, is you know, upgrade their standards and, and trying to apply, uh, meet the criteria um, put it, set out in the bill. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Michelle Hamers, uh, World Animal Protection Campaign Manager. We're talking about the lack of uh, distinct animal protection laws in Ontario. What sort of conditions do many of these animals face on a day-to-day basis? Yes, I've been many to many of these zoos, um, and they're all very similar. Um, most animals are kept in, in small small enclosures. Um, they have very little privacy, so most of the animals would actually avoid contact with people or even coming close to them whenever they could. Um, but it's set up in a way that you know it's easy for people to spot these animals to see them. Um, there are no natural features; are very limited, so animals can engage in the natural behaviors. They can't fly for miles. They can't swim or climb. Um, all these behaviors that they actually need to be happy and healthy. So many of these animals, you see them just lying around, being very lethargic, and that's because they have nothing to do. Michelle, really appreciate the time. Thanks for shining a light on this topic, and uh, we'll touch base sometime down the road. Sounds good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.